Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I am back from vacation, and this is another episode of Southern Fried Soccer. Last night, Atlanta United suffered, and I think that's the right word, a 3-3 draw with New England at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in a crazy game, but a game that we've seen over and over and over again this season. Atlanta United fell two goals behind, one goal, just a horrendous mistake by Brad Guzan. The second, a a goal that probably could have been prevented had one player done one thing slightly better, or two if you want to argue it. They rally, they get three goals, Yorgo Shakamakis, Tiago Almada, and Miguel Berry with a Jeff Lorenowitz-like strike for what they thought was going to be the winner in the 87th minute only to give up a goal in the 93rd minute to split the points. It was the eighth time this season that Lenny United has given up a goal in the 89th minute or later across all competitions this season, which is just a, a horrible stat and one that if you listen to some of Pineda's clips, which you're going to hear tonight or today, and you read the transcripts of the quotes, uh, he he seems like he's trying to stay positive, but even he has kind of reached a point of exasperation. Gone is the, we'll get this fixed, we're going to work on this, this will be better, to almost hoping at this point. And I can't really blame him. I don't know what else he's supposed to do. We watch the training, we see what they work on, and yet late in games, they keep giving up late goals. Off the top of my head, they've now dropped six points because of these late goals which is going to be a huge difference because right now the team is in fifth with 24 points, but it is closer to the 15th place team, Miami, which has 15 points than it is to the first place team, Cincinnati, which has 36 points. Now it's only two points out of fourth, and that's probably going to be the goal. And we're going to get into that in the mailbag. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson, AJC on Facebook at Atlanta United news. Now, I have sad news to report that Daniel was finally caught by Interpol. I don't know in what prison he's being kept, but his crocheting has finally gotten him into trouble. Manning the controls is old friend of the show, Shaney B today. If this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, so the first question from me to Pineda in the post-match press conference was just about the recurring theme of giving up soft goals and late goals. The first goal that Atlanta United allowed 
was in the 23rd second, I think, when Brad Guzan passed the ball right to Carlos Hill at the top of the box. He took a touch, beat Guzan to the near post. It was the fastest goal allowed by Atlanta United in franchise history. Of course, frustrated because I felt that we did a great game, great game. And again, little moments of, you know, lack of concentration and stuff like that, you know, put us under pressure. Uh, but at the same time, as I am frustrated, I'm very proud of the game the players did. It's not easy to come back to see at home at halftime. And even before that, um, I felt that we're putting a lot of pressure, a lot of energy. Good football, because I felt uh, breaking the pressure from New England in the middle block in a 4-4-1-1, 4-2-3-1 wasn't easy. So we start to be very mobile, moving the ball fast, creating some chances, maybe in the first half not so clear. But in the second half, I felt the amount of pressure we put on them was very good, good to see. Uh, the immediate pressure was great. Uh, the active defending was very good for the most part. So it's just, you know, we were two minutes away from being very, very, very happy. Um, so I cannot be completely frustrated because I felt there are many positives into this performance. But as I told the players, there's nothing we can say now that will make us feel better. This taste in the mouth is really, really bad. We are going to get into some of the positives because there were quite a few from last night's match. I wanted to describe New England's second and third goals, too, to kind of illustrate what some of the problem is. On the second goal, uh, the cross came in from the left. Brooks Lennon uh, did not put enough pressure on the crosser. He started to come out, but then stopped, which gave the space. The cross came in. Andrew Gutman was on the back post, and he was marking. You could see it in one of the angles of the video, trying to mark two players. He, I think he was looking to see which one Parata was going to pick up. Bobby Wood made his run. He was one of the two players Gutman was marking to the back post. Gutman hesitated for just a split second to see if Parada was going to pick up Wood. This is my interpretation of the events. And boom, too late. Wood gets on the ball, scores back post. New England takes two elite. Atlanta United comes back. Uh, really put a lot of pressure on New England in the first half. Uh, Luis Arujo and Derek Etienne, though neither scored uh, nor had an assist, were very, very active. It was probably one of the best stretches we've seen from Atlanta United this season in terms of attack, even though they didn't have anything to show for it. But Yorgo Chakamaki scored in the second half, kind of a toe poke on a loose ball. Tiago Almada comes back uh, with a deflected shot that goes in. It's 2-2. Then Miguel Berry with a fantastic kind of chested volley around the same spot of Jeff Lornowitz against Club America in the Campionas Cup back in 2019 into the opposite corner. It was a fantastic goal. Those were some of the positives. The other positives were Atlanta United kind of showed some new ways and it's some new things in its build-up play. There were some there was some more verticality to it involving Yakamakis who had a season high touches. I think it was forty seven um, compared to the side to side or the horseshoe of death, as my friend Tim calls it, when he watches Atlanta United sometimes when it is just struggling to get anything going on offense. I, I still contend that a lot of Atlanta United's good play in the first half was because. It was forcing turnovers in its defensive third and then getting out on the attack. I still think it's so much it's a much, much better counterattacking team than a quote unquote half court or half field team. I wish that those tactics would be incorporated a little bit more, but I'm not the manager. I'm not employed by Atlanta United. I have no say. It's just what I've seen over the past few years. So anyway, going back to Pineda, uh, my 
second and third to last questions with him uh, in the scrum yesterday was I felt that I had to ask if Brad Guzan came back too quickly based upon the first goal. And I mean, you could, it's hard to argue that Brad was at fault on the third goal. I don't think he could see the shot from Carlos Hill, who's normally left-footed, but he switched the ball to his right foot and beat Guzan to the near post. But I did need to ask Pineda if he thought Brad came back too quickly. No, no, no. I mean, we were talking about uh, the, the game in Orlando, a fantastic save he makes on, on one of the shots. It was a great save. Uh, today, I would say the first one, yes, of course, but again, I put it on me. The third one, I think, is tough because he's not seeing right. I think the vision was okay. a bit blocked, and, and actually my players are told to try to block the stronger foot of the opponent. They were trying to block Carlos Hill left foot, and then when they dribble, of course, he, he, he makes a fantastic play. He's one of the best players also mm -hmm. in this league, so you have to give credit to Carlos Hill. You have to give credit to New England, who they have a lot of injuries and probably they were not playing probably their best game and they still manufactured three goals. That That's only a signature of a good team. Um, so again, I think credit to Carlos Hill on that goal. I don't think the third one is on Brad. And again, we have full confidence on Brad as a leader, as a captain and as a goalkeeper. He's just great. Today probably wasn't his night, especially in that first goal. But uh, other than that, he's always a great goalkeeper for us. And for the record, I don't think Brad came back too quickly, but it's a question that we have to ask. It's one of those uncomfortable questions um, just to, to get it on the record. Unfortunately for Atlanta United last night, New England only put three shots on goal. All of them went in. The third goal, again, which came in the 93rd minute, was its first shot since Bobby Wood's goal. And, you know, some of the guys and I were talking about this last night. It's one of those things where you keep, trying to tell yourself, can Atlanta United be this unlucky that this kind of thing keeps happening? Atlanta United dominates possession like 70%. It dominates shots with 20. It dominates shots on goal with seven or nine. I can't remember at this point. Dominates chances created more than twice what New England had. But it ends up splitting points. And this has been going on since before Pineda got here. Atlanta United dominates these categories, but the opponent gets the goals and gets the more favorable result. It happens over and over and over again, and it's hard to explain why, but it does. So my last question to Gonzalo, because the second and third goals involve crosses, just about pressuring the crossers. Now, the third goal, I don't think there's any way Machop Chol can get from where from the zone he's marking out to the crosser. Uh, the pass was too quick, and it was a one-time, which is also something that Lenny United doesn't do a lot of, one-time crosses. Uh, but here's Pineda's response. Yes, yes, that's, again, something that actually we work this week. Uh, with the limited time we had, we put certain things with low intensity, but messaging, blocking crosses, the organization inside the box. So, again, it's, at times it's not always sprinting all the way out and, 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 and stop the cross because sometimes the distance is too long and you leave gaps into our primacy zones, but it's probably been more in the angle of the cross and that's something we can work on certainly to make it more difficult for the crosser. Uh, in, the, in the last one, I feel like, again, Santi wasn't even in position. They restart the game right away and then Chol was kind of half and half. We were thinking it was a long uh, cross from, from the foul. 
and uh, and they play short Farrell dribbles with the ball and I think at some point uh, Chol was confusing on going outside or pressing the guy on the ball and Andrew was the same there was a guy running in between Andrew and Purata so he stayed with him instead of going outside and probably put more pressure on the crosser so again some of those little things that maybe we can do better than the clearance from Purata I think he slips and and then the, the clearance is central where we always message longer and out wide so those clearances we have to do better but it was an unfortunate play for Purata then again just what I just explained uh, but yeah you're right we need to do better at blocking crosses blocking shots eventually in football you know it's tough to block all of them uh, Carlos Hill goal the third one is the only shot they had in the second half so I mean yeah we need to do better in blocking every shot uh, of the game to to not concede goals and I wasn't trying to be right or prove a point with the question. I was simply trying to confirm something that Pineda had talked about a few games ago about the need to get out and block crosses and block shots. Um, it's just it's hard, it's hard to explain what's happened with this team or what is happening with this team, which now must go to LAFC, which rallied to get a, a very worthwhile goal last night at the Champions League final. Uh, but they'll have their focus turned to other things when they play on Wednesday. But we will see if Atlanta United can hold its composure for 90 minutes. Uh, we were able to, most of the locker room was cleared out by the time we got there. Um, we were able to speak with Miguel Berry about his first goal. And here's his thoughts on the theme of the team giving up goals in the 89th minute or later this season. It goes down to everyone. I think it starts at the front, obviously. And, um, you know, I, I, it's not easy to do that. And, you know, Derek and I know from last last season in Columbus that was, a, was another issue that we've had. So, um, you know, it, it's... <laughs> That happens in football, and, and those are the minutes where it really counts the most. And I think it's just about making the little plays. And you know, we know we can do it. We have the ability to. We, we defend. There's, there's many moments in the game where we defend very well. And obviously, it, you don't see those at the end of the game. You see, you see the goals you can see. So it's just about doing those more consistently and and eliminating mistakes. I don't know if you could hear Etienne in the background, but he said, "Don't bring up my PTSD about that." Um, and so then I followed up with Miguel Berry. Just what's the one thing keeping this team from being top four in the East? I think, you know, what we discussed, I think we have more than enough talent. We, we play, I mean, we, we scored in every game. I don't think any of the team's done that in the league. And I think it's, it's not, we score in different ways, you know. Um, obviously, Thiago, Luis, you have incredible talent. Jaku has been, been unbelievable this season again tonight. So um, I think it's just, you know, making little plays and, and starts, it's, just, it's everyone on the pitch. Really. I think it's, you know, little decisions all over the pitch that, that you know, a little butterfly effect that, ha- effect that happens and trickles down everywhere. So, um, you know, I think we'll be, we'll be good going forward, but obviously we, we're going to work to eliminate the mistakes. That was an interesting analogy, the butterfly effect from Miguel Berry on how these little things do lead to bigger things, and, and he's 100% right. Obviously, you can't predict which little things are going to turn into the bigger things, but that's the point of uh, sports is trying to, uh, you know, take care of as many things as you possibly can in hopes of producing a positive outcome. And Atlanta United, just when it misses those little things for the past three years, just continues to be punished. It's a bizarre trend. When we come back, we have a voicemail, and we're going to get into the mailbag with some interesting questions from y'all. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get three months. Three months. Or as they say in England, three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, our politics, our breaking news, our investigations, our food and dining, and so much more on AJC.com. Plus, access to our e-paper and our assortment of newsletters. So join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. Before we get into the mailbag, I just wanted to uh, send out condolences to Jay Black, uh, who's one of the lead producers for the AJC on uh, the passing of a family member. And just let him know that we're all here for you and whatever we can do. I know it always sounds hollow in these situations, but it's it's heartfelt. We're here to help you. All right. The mailbag number, as always, is 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. Erase all other contact numbers in your phone and put that in there so that you can call day or night. Daniel, if he gets out of, of prison, We'll answer your voicemail. Shaney is at the ready right now. He's got a pencil and an old blue horse notebook ready to transcribe all of your thoughts about Atlanta United. We start with Brett and Inman Park. Doug, what are three things that Atlanta United can do between now and their next game on June 10th to tighten up the defense? I'm looking for three specific things that they can do because right now I have no hope that Gonzalo Pineda knows how to coach a team that is nothing more than a sieve on the defensive end. Please give me something. Give me some hope that he can fix things. What are three specific things he can do? Okay, well, I I hate to take away any of your hope, but they actually have a game before June 10th. Uh, So they got to get this fixed by June 7th when they go to BMO Stadium, I think it is now to play LAFC. Uh, So they have a few days, and I think the team is off Thursday and Friday, rest and recover. They've had a long stretch of a lot of games in a short amount of time. The first thing is get pressure on crossers. That's been a huge, huge problem for this team. Consistent pressure on crossers. Get out and block those crosses. I I don't have any way of, of finding blocked crosses stats. So I have no idea if Atlanta United is good or bad at it, but it seems like a lot of opponents' goals come from crosses in which there is not a lot of pressure put on the the defender. The second thing is, I I don't even know what the second thing is. Stay focused for 90 minutes. 
which I can, I mean, it, I can clearly remember Guzan talking about this back in 2019 when he was getting frustrated with some of the results the team had. It, it's, you don't want to call, you don't want to describe anybody as being mentally fragile. And I don't, it's not the right phrase, but I think you know what I mean. It's just maintaining focus for 90 minutes. And Atlanta United, for whatever reason, just can't do it. And it's not, it's not like there's rookies on the field. There's a lot of veterans. There's national team players on the field. But they switch off, and it's almost like when they switch off, the opponent switches on. Almost like it's a, what is that, a one-way toggle switch in electrician's terms? If there's an electrician listening, help me out with that. And as soon as they switch off, the, it switches the opponent on, and boom, goal. The third thing is just continue to communicate. Somebody needs to be the guy on the field, yelling at the teammates where to go, what to do, reminding them of those little things. Those are my three things. I appreciate the call, Brett. I love Inman Park. That's a cool place. Went there two weeks ago to celebrate my son's birthday at a, a very, very good Italian restaurant there. And I'm hoping to do some trivia there with some friends of mine. On to Pat in the traditional emails at drobertson at AJC or DMs at Twitter, which is at drobertson AJC. Pat says, it could be a two-cup morning. Pat, it is always a two-cup morning. Always. He says his overall reaction is that he would have sacrificed one point in Orlando for three last night. The game had the potential to be a huge step in building confidence for the team, but it switched off three times and unfortunately got burned on all three. The team must take a positive from their comeback efforts, though. Yeah, they should. I mean, they were on the verge of coming back or completing a rally and a rally is not a draw. A rally is a victory from two goals down for just the second time in franchise history. The first was the crazy game in San Jose back in 2018. And they were on the verge of doing it and they just gave up that third goal. So that, that is another positive. Pat continues from a tactics point. I'd much rather see our players continue to go toward goal with the ball, no matter the number on their back. Oh, okay. Now I know what he's going with this. Miles came forward multiple times in the second half only to dump the ball to Lennon on the right and retreat while the Revs completely backed off. The one time he did continue, he almost got an assist. This was a run he made all the way to the end line, had a cutback cross to Yakamakus, who I think was stunned at what he was seeing, and he missed the shot. But it was a fantastic run from Robinson. Huzetu played the ball to Almada when he had a clear shot in the middle of the pitch. On the shot, Almada hit the side netting uh, in the first half. Yep, that's true, too. Doing so should help break up the block of defenders the team so often faces. Okay, now his quick questions. In reference to previous karma concern, who makes the decision on opening the roof? Last night might be the last opportunity for a while with summer approaching. Yeah, we were sitting at the table having a, a fantastic meal of ropa vieja and rice and beans and roasted potatoes, followed by, of course, ice cream. And I asked if the roof was going to be open, and two people confidently told me, yes, the roof was going to be open, and then it never opened. So I don't know what was going on there. He continues, is the public sub giveaway at halftime rigged to only go to smaller 200 sections? I'm noticing a trend. I have no idea. I have never, ever taken advantage of the public sub giveaway because I don't have a ticket for starters. Um, so I am not the person to ask about the public sub giveaway, Publix, 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 Publix. Cole says, thanks for your podcast. Well, thanks for listening. I enjoy listening to it. A few questions. Do you think we should expect that Etienne will come good? 
It feels like a step down from players that got away, uh, Miram, Gallagher, Vasquez, Tito, Gressel. Also, were you surprised he didn't get a card for his attempts to get fouls called? To be honest with you, I thought Etienne had his best game as an Atlanta United player last night. This is not meant as an insult to him, but it's it was it's been a fairly low bar. It just it's not working yet for him with Atlanta United. But I thought he played really well last night. He had a penalty claim denied. Um, watching the video, I couldn't see that he got clipped by anyone. Uh, but I do think that his heel got his heel got taken out. Uh, if I need to watch the video and see if I can find a better angle, the angle I think I saw last night was like knees up or, or waist up or something, so it was hard to tell. But I thought Etienne had a good game. Um, he created a couple of chances, had a couple of shots. Um, and, and you can't really – and I know this is easy to do because we all think in terms of, of one-to-one data points, but you can't say that we gave up Miram or Gallagher or Vasquez or Tito or Gressel in order to get Etienne. It just doesn't work that way. Cole continues, this may be a dangerous question to ask at this point, but through your interviews and game watch, who has more grit? Joseph or Gigi? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Joseph at his prime was arguably the best striker in MLS history. No defender wanted any piece of him. Yakimakis is is a very, very tough dude. He was beat up last night pretty badly uh, and still managed to score a goal. His his hold-up play was fantastic. Um, he's a good passer. So we'll, we'll see. I think it's a nice problem to have when you're trying to debate who has more grit as opposed to where's the grit gone. He continues with how much do you travel? Do you have any travel tips, any airport tricks? Now <laughs> I pay for clear, which is fantastic at every airport except Hartsfield Jackson. And I don't know who to blame for it. Um, I don't know if it's Delta. I don't know if it's clear, but there's just not enough stations. There's not enough security lines And so you look over at general boarding, and a lot of times it goes faster than clear. Every other airport, clear is fantastic. Um, MARTA is a a wonderful thing to take. It's what I do now. I can get from MARTA to my condo in 30 minutes, which is a great – if you've never considered using MARTA, it's much cheaper than paying for parking Um, at most lots, depending upon how far you've gone. Anyway, that's just a couple of things really quick. On to Chris, who says, I turned to my wife as soon as I saw Sosa come on for Arahujo and said, every time we make a defensive sub, quote, quote, or dot, 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 I was going to finish with, we allow a goal, but I couldn't because we allowed a goal. Why does Pineda think it ain't broke, so let's break it instead of leaving well enough alone? Now, I don't think that's very fair. I mean, there's most managers will put in subs they think are going to be better defensively late in games to try to preserve leads. It's it's like bringing in a closer in baseball, even though I think the whole role of closer is is kind of mythologized by us in the media rather than being actually a practical solution to anything. I think any pitcher can probably do it if you just give him a couple of practices. Anyway, no critique bringing on a sub and wasting time, but you're taking off the fastest guy on the pitch during prime counterattack time. Well, you're winning three to two, and there's only a couple of minutes left. I, I don't know... I don't see the problem with it. But anyway, he continues, take off Abara, take off Huzetu, but why take off a player in their most dangerous time? But it feels like every time, and this predates Pineda, we take off an attacking player for a defending player, it's almost instantaneous that we give up a goal. Well, I 
I'd have to go and try to figure that out, but I don't know if it's really worth the time. But I understand your point. I do understand your point. I think that it's just more of a frustration point than anything else. I think the tactics and the decision were sound. It just, it had, you know, they gave up a goal. He continues, as a referee, those early goals threw off everyone, players, coaches, fans, and even the referees. But even taking that into consideration, how do you play advantage one yard outside the box to a player that has no angle and two defenders on them? I'm not sure of the situation you're talking about. Uh, he continues, it was clearly a foul as Rubio Vasquez gave a yellow to Noel Buck for it. So how does he allow advantage there? That's just inexcusable, especially that close to goal. FIFA instructs referees to allow less advantage in both the attacking and defending thirds. I try not to criticize other referees because I'm far from perfect, but even I could call that one. Did he give any kind of explanation on that in his post game? Uh, he wasn't asked about that. I need to go back and, and try to remember what you're talking about. I may have been looking down, writing or tweeting or something at the time. Uh, but I appreciate the thoughts and, and the long uh, questions. Please keep them coming, Chris. Adam, friend of the podcast, says, Once again, Atlanta fails to adjust to a ref that allows physical play and or is inconsistent with their calls. There has to be a means for the team to adapt before the halftime address. Now, I don't have any problem with the referees last night. I didn't even notice the referees last night. I guess Etienne could argue that he should have gotten a penalty in the first half, but I had no issues with anything they did. Um, Adam continues, true or false, at this point, Atlanta should start Wolf over Etienne until Wiley returns, if for no other reason than hustle and effort to go forward. He, he being Wolf, is raw, but his ambition with the ball or make the run stands in stark contrast to the state Etienne. Do you think Etienne might be better better served trying a more reserved Nagby-like role? No. No. He just lacks a speed for a wide player. I think he does have – again, I thought he played well last night. He had some giveaways, but he was attacking. He was threatening. Um, it's just right now you're not getting a tangible result. So I understand the frustration. I, I wouldn't be uh, – I wouldn't raise alarms if Pineda decided to start Wolf over Etienne. Um I think Wolf deserves some more minutes. He's a homegrown. The team's got to figure out what they've got in him. He, he hasn't got any consistent runouts. But anyway, he continues, focus and hustle from the first whistle to the last. Why is that such a difficult thing for this team to grasp? My high school team had a motto, full field, full 90, full out. Maybe share that with Pineda and company because I'll take whatever works. Yeah, I don't think Pineda is going to take motivational slogans from me. Um, I wouldn't if I were him because – why? Yeah. Uh, why? Eric with a K, friend of the podcast, says, given the gaping holes in United's defense and offense when Etienne is on the pitch, do you think Atlanta will make the playoffs? He continues, I'm flipping disgusted. So we need to send a bag of Doug coffee uh, to Eric Shane. I'm, I'm assuming that Daniel sent you a, a full – 18-wheeler truckload full of bags of Doug coffee to send to the, the voicemail listeners. If he didn't, I, I don't know what we're going to do. Um, do I think Atlanta will make the playoffs? Well, let me answer that in what I think is a question upcoming. Yes, it's a question upcoming. So, Eric, I'm not ignoring you. Just hold on and listen, okay? JV says, Hey, Doug, I hope you had a wonderful trip to London. My kids and I did. It was fantastic. It was my fourth time there. I love it. Love the city. Love the cosmopolitan feel. 
Love the friendliness of the people. Love to be able to walk everywhere. Love it, love it, love it. Anyway, in the past few weeks with the USL Super League announced as pursuing women's Division I status, I think you mean level one status, I was curious if anyone in the AMB Sports Atlanta United organization has had any talks or shown interest in a team, especially with connections like Paul McDonough and the USL organization. Paul was previously a vice president for Atlanta United and helped them build the first roster that resulted in three trophies. JV says, I'm not surprised Atlanta was not an announced team as they would want to see if the league actually launches successfully before investing. But do you see that as a possibility? Are they still considering NWSL even after not having any success with the last round of expansion slots? So a lot of Atlanta United's interest in a women's team was kind of overblown. Um, it's all, It's been one of those things where the team would listen, would ask a few questions, but you'll have to remember that the NWSL for a few years was going through a heck of a lot of turmoil. And I don't think Atlanta United wanted to be have a brand associated with all the the just the awful things that were going on within the league. But now the league, I think, it seems to have pushed through and is on a more positive note. So we'll have to see going forward. But there's just a whole lot more to it than just starting an NWSL team. They would have a place to play. I I, I have no idea of the appetite for women's soccer in Atlanta. But, you know, opening up Mercedes-Benz Stadium for, for games, if they don't have what Atlanta United's announced attendance would be, can be cost prohibitive. And Arthur Blank didn't become a billionaire by just wasting money uh, on on fixed costs and variable costs and things like that. So the, the women's team would need a place to play. If the season ticket sales would indicate that there will be more than enough to open up Mercedes-Benz Stadium, then obviously that that is an option. I just I don't know. I'm thinking more if they don't, what, where are they going to go? Um, so anyway, we'll we'll have to see. I don't think there's like a a bona fide interest right now, but who knows down the road? Mike says I get that Brad Guzan is a great vocal leader on the pitch, but his lateral movement is so bad. He plays like he's stuck in the mud. I'm guessing this will be a frequently asked question for the pod, but is there any chance we move to Westburg permanently in goal? No, I don't think so. I think it would take what happened last night uh, on the first goal a couple of times for Pineda to consider that. Um, I, I understand the criticism of Brad, particularly after that first goal and maybe on the third goal, um, but there's a whole lot that has to go into it. It's not all on the goalkeeper all the time. Obviously, the first goal is 100% on Brad. Uh, the third goal, you can't argue that it was. The second goal, I, it's just, I don't know. I, I just, I single topic narratives or single focus narratives, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of. Okay, so now Eric with a K and Daniel, who asked the next question. Here we go. He had a question for the pod. Looking at the next five matches, it's a very brutal schedule. Assuming the five stripes lose tonight's match, they didn't. It feels like it's not improbable. Ooh, we got a double negative work in there. To see them fall out of playoff seating before the transfer window. The expectation set by the front office was a home playoff spot. Is that a realistic goal at this point, given how badly things have gone? So let's take a looky-loo, to use a, a very technical term, at the next five matches. At LAFC, very, very tough place to, to win. At home versus DC United, which is playing much better. 
at home versus NYCFC, which is playing like a hot mess of garbage right now, at Red Bulls, where the team has never won, versus Philadelphia. So this is actually six games. Um, which Atlanta United has had all sorts of trouble with. So, yeah, it's quite possible that Atlanta United could fall below the playoff line by the time the transfer window opens. Atlanta United, you know, as awful as last night feels to some of y'all, it was a point. Atlanta United has found ways to split points by scoring its own late goals. It has shown that grit and that fight, but it's got to start getting these one points to turn into threes or zero points to turn into one point. Right now it is five points above the playoff line. Montreal is in 10th with 19 points. In between Atlanta and Montreal are Columbus with 21, Charlotte with 21, D.C. with 20, another team in that stretch, or then Orlando with 20. Behind Montreal are New York with 19, another team in that stretch. So, And NYCFC is down in 14th with 16 points, one point ahead of 15th place Miami. So this is, this is a hugely important stretch for Atlanta United, but they're all kind of hugely important right now, particularly when you keep dropping points left and right. So do I think Atlanta United is going to make the playoffs to go back to Eric's question? Yes, I do. But they've got to fix some of these issues that they're experiencing right now. And now our email of the week. Shady does not have the law in order. Bump, bump. The signify email of the week. Shane, shame on you. How am I supposed to get motivated to answer this question if I don't hear the law in order? Dun, dun. This is going to add some time to uh, <laughs> Daniel's sentence. That's that's all I can say. Daniel. Shane is putting it on Daniel. All right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I can make some magic in post-production. We'll see what I can do. Shane, are you trying to tell me that you have not listened to any episodes of the Southern Fried Soccer podcast in the past few weeks? I'm going to be very, very very not at all disappointed if you tell me you have not listened to it. I am so busted right now. <laughs> all right, Shane. Well, Let hey, I'm get... listening to this episode of the Southern <laughs> Fried Soccer Podcast, so I'm getting caught up. I'm going to give you a pass on this one. All right, let's get into the email of the week from Nick. I hope you enjoyed your trip to London and your pics looked super cool. Well, you know, I am extremely not photogenic, so thank you. My only question is, what are your top three places you've ever traveled to? It could be MLS cities. It doesn't have to be. Thanks. Huh. So London is always cool to go to. So one of my favorite travel memories, I was fortunate enough to go to Europe when I was in high school on one of those trips that starts in London and ends in Frankfurt. So you go through a whole bunch of different places throughout Europe. And one afternoon, we went to Assisi in Italy, uh, the monastery that St. Francis founded. It's in a town that it, it's so picturesque. It, it's medieval, you know, narrow alleyways, clothes lines across the top of the alleyways. A lot of, I can't remember if it was stucco or adobe or, or what, or, or just limestone buildings. Uh, just a beautiful city to walk around. You just feel, you feel Italian. When you're walking around it, if that makes sense. Well, anyway, that night we came down the hill where that Assisi is located on and had a dinner at an Italian restaurant outdoors. It was back when they had those little lights, the string lights that you see all over the place now, but they had them then. 
musicians walking around playing family-style portions of some of the best food you've ever had in your life. I've tried to find it on Google Earth. I can't find it. If People out there, if you ever have a few minutes on your hands, go to a sissy, start looking for an outdoor restaurant somewhere around a sissy, not on top of the hill, down in the valley, in which you can see the monastery on the hill, because we could do that too. And at this point, this is some 35 years later, my memory may be romanticizing this as compared to what was actually there, but that's what I remember. Anyway, that's second. Um, third, I don't really know. I've been fortunate enough to go to so many cool places. There's so many cool cities in Major League Soccer, Vancouver, Seattle, Portland. I love the history of Philadelphia, D.C. Uh, it's just so many cool places. Uh, I'm trying to think of, yeah, I don't know. Let me hold on to that third one, and I'll come back with you, Nick. Just remind me what. Remind me of your question in a couple of weeks, and I'll have a better answer for you. All right, that wraps up the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. Atlanta United 3, New England 3. We'll come back next week with a preview of LAFC. Please remember you can email me your questions at drobertson at ajc.com. You can send them on the Twitters at Doug Robertson AJC to my DMs, that is. Don't just put them on Twitter because I will miss them. As always, hug your loved ones, communicate with your loved ones. Y'all take care. AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Mm-hmm.